We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. edition of the Roadwire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen joined, as always, by Alex Barusta. Uh, we also have a third man on the pod today. James Anderson is back with us on short notice, nonetheless, uh, to, to break down the NBA playoffs. James, appreciate you hopping on. Alex, great to talk to you, as always. Thanks for having yeah, me. Of course. All right, we got a lot to get to, as always. Um, you know, we're recording this Tuesday late afternoon. So we have Celtics-Nets Game 5. Uh, Blazers Nuggets game five and Lakers Suns game five later this evening. We'll shy away from from trying to break down those contests, which by the time you're listening to this will will either be over or probably about to start. Uh, but we'll hit those series more generally, and we'll talk about a lot of the action from the weekend and and maybe look ahead to some of the second round series that are already coming into view. But I want to go to Clippers Mavs right away, which th- this series looked completely over. Uh, I had said to you last week, Alex, on the pod. I couldn't believe that the favored outcome, according to the the DraftKings Sportsbook, at least the you know the one with the lowest odds, was Mavericks at four after taking the first two in L.A. That series is now completely flipped. Luka Doncic is banged up. He could barely move his neck in game four. Uh, it would be very surprising if he ultimately misses any time. But, man, this one has just completely flipped on a dime from you know how we viewed this Clippers team and, and frankly, how we viewed this Mavs team four or five days ago. Well, I mean, if Luka Doncic isn't going to be 100% healthy, you know, it's it's tough to have a lot of faith in the Mavericks. 
like his numbers for the series are still good. You know, he's averaging 33 a game, the eight assists. But um, yeah, I mean, his his neck injury, that kind of I feel like that's that holds the kind of the fate of uh, Dallas to some extent, because now that the series is tied, um, you know, I mean, it's <laughs> and you're going back to L.A. with a uh, with a hurt Doncic. That's um, that's a that's a rough way to go. Yeah, I think this this Mavs team's whole recipe for winning this series and making any kind of a run was just to kind of be like those LeBron Cavs teams where Doncic was just the best player on the court at all times and just kind of willed the the players around him to the next round. But uh, Kawhi Leonard's been the best player uh, the last couple games, and the Mavs have stopped hitting threes at like a 50% clip. So, um, I mean, I think that they have – the one thing that I would think about doing if I was serious about trying to get back into this series is to play Porzingis less because I just think he's become such a defensive liability, especially when the Clippers are going small. But I just I don't really think that they are going to be willing to go that route. And, yeah, I mean, the Dodgich injury, the fact that Kawhi's playing at his current level just sort of seems like it's all swung in the Clippers' favor. I mean, Porzingis is averaging only 15 and four in the series in 30 minutes, 32 minutes. That's like I was I, you know, I'm not like super low on Porzingis, but even the people who are low on Porzingis, 15 and four is atrocious. I mean, what is the alternative if, you, if you're going to go away from Porzingis, if you're going to play play him fewer minutes, play someone else more minutes? I mean, they went to Boban at times uh, in the first and in the fourth quarter of game four. It kind of worked. I mean, obviously, you're you're giving some very specific things up when you have him on the floor, but it, he is kind of this weird instant offense as a seven foot four big man. Um, I mean, I, I don't really think that that's a sustainable option necessarily. Um, I mean, if you're trading off Porzingis, does it mean you're just going small? You know, you're giving Trey Burke more minutes. You're giving Jalen Brunson. You know, Josh Richardson hasn't played that much. Um, I mean, it, it it the last two games have just kind of been a reminder, I guess, of how good the Clippers can be when everything is running right, I, I don't think that it's now just going to be a runaway train and this is what they're going to look like the rest of the way. Like Dallas obviously has a chance to still win the series tied 2-2, but I, I think they need Porzingis to do so, right? I mean, unless Doncic is just going completely insane and it's going to average, you know, 40 to 45 points a game and hit five to eight threes the rest of the way, which given the neck issue, I don't think that's necessarily an option either. Like I, I, I get what you're saying, James, in terms of, you know, less Porzingis, but I don't think they have like a great option behind him. Well, the what I would ideally, if if Doncic and Maxi Kleber were both fully healthy, I think that that small lineup of uh, Doncic, Brunson, Hardaway, Finney Smith, and Kleber could be really effective. But the fact that Kleber's not like I, I just don't think this version of Kleber is like capable of really stepping into that type of role as like a twenty-five minutes per game at the five type of guy and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just I wonder if the Mavs like even really have a shot if they continue to just operate with Porzingis getting the minutes he has. I definitely recognize, though, that the other alternatives would probably open up other problems. I mean, we knew they would be dependent on Doncic. His usage rate for the series, by the way, is 42 percent. That is nine percentage points higher than anyone else. Brad Beal is second. Lillard is third. Uh, Morant fourth and Devin Booker fifth so i mean even other teams that lean really heavily 
on one guy are not nearly doing it to the level that Dallas is. I mean, it's going to come down to Doncic's health. I think if he's if he looks more like the guy he was in games one and two, and for most of game three, I think they have a chance. If he doesn't, I, I think this probably ends in six games. Um, has your opinion on the Clippers in terms of them being a longer-term contender in the Western Conference, you know, second round and beyond, has that changed at all over the last two games? Because as you start to look at, you know, what's going on with the Lakers, uh, we, we still don't really know for sure if Anthony Davis uh, is out tonight, but it seems like that's going to be the case. I mean, pretty good chance that they'll uh, go down 3-2 in that series without AD. Um, if we're looking at a playoffs without the LA Clippers or without the LA Lakers and, you know, I, I think a team like Utah, a team, team like Phoenix, those those are not exactly, uh, you know, teams that have been here year in and year out and, and are the type of teams that you would fear. Like, I, I think there's an argument to be made that suddenly after being down 0-2, if the Clippers can close out the Mavs, there's an argument that having Kawhi Leonard maybe makes them the favorite all of a sudden in the Western Conference, which based on where we were a week ago, does seem kind of backwards. Yeah, I think if they if they close it out in convincing fashion, I think that becomes the case. If this somehow kind of, stumbles into a game seven and they almost like it slip away like again that I still you know I still I, I think that uh the Clippers Jazz and Phoenix will be relatively even um especially if Chris Paul's shoulder looks better if Chris Chris Paul's shoulder still looks bad um then it's kind of like I I think it's kind of a wrap for them so we'll we'll see about that but um it's it, it, you know if a sports book put them as the favorite to come out of the West after the series. Like, yeah. Like you mentioned that, that would not be shocking. They, they were my pick to come out of the West before the playoffs started. And then I just felt like an idiot about that pick, uh, after those first two games, because they just looked so pathetic at times. But, um, I think I would, I'd probably favor them ever so slightly over the Suns and the jazz, you know, I mean, I think it's it's tough to have much faith in the Lakers at this point. But um, I think those other teams will introduce some new variables and be able to take advantage of some things about the Clippers that this Mavs team can't really exploit. So I, I just think we're in for a really, really entertaining uh, next couple rounds in the Western Conference because all these teams – can sort of talk themselves into having a shot. I mean, I don't think the Nuggets or the Blazers have a shot, but I, I know that those teams might think they do. And um, certainly the Clippers, Jazz, and Suns, like I, I wouldn't say that either of those teams should be more than like a you know 30%, 40% favorite to come out of the conference. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I mean, the the regular season would imply that Utah and Phoenix, I, I think, are the favorites. But the like the history of NBA playoffs suggests that the team that has the best player, even if that team has you know underperformed at times in the playoffs or during the regular season, like that's the team you want to bet on. Like straight up, we'd be looking at Utah and the Clippers in round two. I, I would have a very tough time picking against Kawhi Leonard in that series, even though Utah has been the better team wire to wire. Yeah, I mean, especially since the 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 Jazz kind of their weakness is that they don't have great wing defenders. Like they have Royce O'Neal, but he's not going to shut down Kawhi Leonard, and Bogdanovich isn't really going to, you know, like you. <laughs> Mitchell is fine, and Bogdanovich is fine. I'm not sure Mitchell's an elite defender. Um, yeah, I mean, just having those two, the the Jazz and the Clippers in this scenario face each other, makes me wonder if the sports books will just end up like. Phoenix being the favorite to come out of the West 
just because they don't have to go through, you know, they're going to have to go through Denver or Portland and they'll presumably win that. Um, so I, I think that would end up being the case. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good call. Like, if if Chris Paul by the end of this series, assuming the Suns hold on and win it, like if Chris Paul looks like he's playing at 100, uh, percent I mean, I, I just think that Clippers Jazz series would go probably at least six, whereas the Suns would just be heavy favorites against either of those two teams. Mm-hmm. And um, I would be, I mean, I don't think the the Jazz could stop like Kawhi specifically at all. Like I think he could kind of do whatever he wants against them, but I also just don't know what they do with Rudy Gobert because all of their best lineups or or most scary lineups don't really include Zubac. And even if Zubac is out there, I don't really know how good he would be at slowing Gobert down. Um, I guess the, their best bet would be to kind of pressure up hard enough on the jazz guards and kind of prevent them from working that pick and roll. But I mean, I think, I think that would be a fascinating clash of styles. So let me read you the NBA title odds right now. And keep in mind that these are slanted, you know, in favor of teams that have either already closed out their first round series or are in good position to do so. Uh, the Nets are our favorites at plus 180. Then the jazz at four to one, the Bucks at plus 550, the Lakers 6 to 1, Clippers 7 to 1, Sixers 9 to 1, Suns 15 to 1. And then you got a big drop off uh, down to Denver at 40 to 1. So obviously the Jazz get a, a little bit of a boost for being up 3-1 whereas the Clippers, you know, could still very well lose the series to Dallas, but I I, I do think the main point I'm trying to make here is I, I think this is all shaping up very well for the Eastern Conference. You know, whichever team emerges from Milwaukee, Brooklyn, in round two, uh, we'll see what happens with the Sixers, who had, I think will take care of the Wizards, uh, even if Embiid ends up missing a game or two. Um, if he's healthy, they're obviously in this as well. But would you take, a, let's let's assume that the Lakers uh, end up losing to the Suns, and we'll get to the Lakers in a second. But if the Lakers are out of this, and all of a sudden it's you know Clippers, Mavs, one of those two, plus Utah, and then the winner of Denver-Portland, would you take any of those teams up against Philly, Milwaukee, or Brooklyn? Uh, I mean, I think the Clippers, I, I feel like the Clippers and Jazz maybe could give the Bucks some trouble. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't, that's tough. I still, I still think the Nets are, are winning the, the title. So that, that's how I would lean, I guess, against anything. But, um, yeah, I'm not sure. What do you think, James? I think whoever wins the Nets. Buck series is going to win the finals, uh, barring yeah. some injury uh, to one of their key players. So um, that, yeah, I, I, I think that, I mean, the Bucks, yeah, the Bucks have looked. I think the Suns got the Bucks in the regular season um, in pretty impressive fashion down the stretch, but uh, I just, I think that it's kind of a different class. Those, those top. I'm not really taking the Sixers that seriously just because I think they're built more for the regular season than the playoffs given the We're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with Indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, uh, ben Simmons factor and, and that, that type of stuff. But, I mean, the Nets and the Bucks to me just seem like they're playing uh, a tier above in terms of the quality of play that they have versus the rest of the league right now. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Uh, I, I think... You know, the Sixers still give those teams a, a, a decent run. I don't think that's a sweep or anything in, in the conference finals. But um, with the way that the West is kind of cannibalizing, you know, each other, I, I think the winner of that series probably ends up winning the title. Um, on the Lakers front, the Lakers are in huge trouble. They, they weren't playing that well before Anthony Davis went down. Uh, likely not going to have him for game five tonight. We'll see what happens in that one. Even if Davis comes back, for game six, or even if he plays in game five, like I, I don't know that we're going to see him at full strength at any point for the rest of the series. And as Anthony Davis's health declines, Chris Paul's health seems to be incrementally getting better as the series goes on. Um, I, I don't think I'm ready to write the Lakers off whatsoever. They were, they opened, I think as five and a half point dogs tonight, that that number has uh, shrunk down to five uh, as of a couple hours ago. I have no idea what's going to happen in that game. And again, I don't want to break down a game that is about to you know, tip off in a few hours here. But how do you see, you know, at large, the rest of the series playing out, starting with kind of a, a general prediction for tonight and then, you know, whatever happens in game six or if we get to a game seven? I mean, I, I think the Suns are in the driver's seat here with with Anthony Davis. I mean, Davis, Davis has already has pretty big stretches of being a passive player when he's 100 percent healthy. And if he's got, you know, I mean, his his the injuries dealing right now is an injured groin. Um, he hyperextended his knee. He is still presumably, you know, dealing with some like calf and Achilles soreness from like before the playoffs. I and and you know, like you mentioned, like Chris Paul's health is going the other direction. Like he 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 looks great last game, or at least better. And um, I mean, without Davis, like. <laughs> I just don't know what they're going to do. Like you, I guess you do, do go Markeith Morris. Do you try more Kuzma? Kuzma has been awful by the way. Um, like I, LeBron is the only person on the team that you're like actually scared of even a little bit. Like Schroeder might be able to score 20 points just, you know, by pure attempts. But, um, I, without Davis, I mean, Phoenix, Phoenix is really in the driver's seat. Yeah. I would echo all of that. I think, uh, it's just becoming clear and clear that this is a pretty flawed roster that would have required uh, elite performances from both LeBron and Anthony Davis to make a deep run. So I, I almost feel like this Davis injury is just going to end up being kind of a convenient excuse for the Lakers mm-hmm. uh, because I just I think that they would have uh, been disappointed or or just gotten upset at some point here if it wasn't going to be the Suns this round. I just don't think they had the supporting cast to, to make a deep run. I think that's a hundred percent true. I, I, it's very easy to see that narrative emerging, uh, you know, especially if it's a lopsided loss uh, in, in game five, and then, you know, maybe that carries over to, to six or seven. 
I, I do think if they can make it through this series, you know, they, they are fairly well positioned to maybe bounce back just because of, you know, the matchup that, that would be awaiting them in round two, uh, which would presumably be easier than this one. And obviously in that case, you're expecting both Davis and LeBron to be healthier. So if they can find a way to navigate out of this series, I don't think it's over. Um, but at the same time, I I feel a little foolish for thinking that this roster was you know dramatically better than last year's, which admittedly was pretty flawed. You know, a lot of the issues that the Lakers have on this roster were there last year. But like you said, you know, this roster requires elite, elite play from LeBron and Davis. They got that in the finals last year in the bubble, and it worked out okay. They win the title. Now, I, I think they lucked out with the team that that they faced in the finals in Miami, you know, that was banged up. I, I think that contributed to it. But at the same time, you know, th- this team is essentially a slightly better version on paper of the one that won the title last year. So it, it, it's hard for me to say that, you know, this roster was just slopped together and it was never that good because I, I, I definitely thought it was good at points this year. But man, Schroeder has just been, you know, he hasn't been the guy that he was in OKC last year. I mean, Marcus all, I, I think expectations should have been relatively low for him at this age. Same goes for guys like Wes Matthews. But they weirdly missed Dwight Howard. Um, and then the biggest thing that I, I've been saying to you over and over, James, you've kind of acted as, a, as my personal Lakers counselor uh, via Slack these last couple of weeks. But there's no shooting on this roster at all. Like Kyle Korver is not retired. How is Kyle Korver not on the Lakers roster? Like Ben McElmore is getting minutes for this team. Like that that is the kind of dire straits that the Lakers are in right now. And even when when Davis is healthy, you know they're not they haven't been a great scoring team. You know the defense has kind of been bailing them out uh, all along uh, for the last season and a half. And then without Davis, as we saw in the second half on Sunday, like if LeBron's not you know doing everything he can to create shots for everyone else, they have they have no options whatsoever on offense. Yeah, I mean the basically the only guy on that team who has any sort of a case as a plus three-point shooter and a plus defender is maybe KCP like he hasn't been a plus shooter in this series yeah exactly and like maybe maybe Wes Matthews like it like I honestly think Wes Matthews is one of their four like at full health like I, I think he like is in their best lineup at this point just because you yeah they've got just they've got so many guys on this team who either can't defend or can't shoot and the guys who can defend like Caruso can't shoot. And I mean, like Kuzma, Drummond, Harrell, uh, you like these guys, you can't keep playing these guys in the high leverage playoff situations. Mm-hmm. You just can't. Well, when you're yeah. talking about a potential, sorry, Alex, when you're, when you're talking about a potential Davis replacement for game five, it's not like you have a, a Bertans type, like somebody where you're like, look, let's just cross our fingers and, you know, hopefully he gets hot and hits five threes. It's like your options are either someone, you know, you're, you're playing Drummond, you know, significantly more than you want to. Like that's that's going to probably end up hurting you in the long run. You have a guy in Harrell who can really only score within three feet. Um, you know, if you feed more minutes to Kuzma, who's shooting like 15 percent from the field in the series that, you know, that feel, feels like a, a fool's errand. Markeith Morris, you mentioned, I mean, not a dependable shooter whatsoever. Um there's a reason he's out of the rotation essentially when the Lakers are at full strength. Like it, it, it's not like this team was the, the 2011 heat where you go all in on three guys and you just have to bargain bin the rest of the roster. Like this was a handpicked roster around LeBron James. And obviously he has, you know, he bears some responsibility here. I, I, I'm, I'm sure every single move that the Lakers make is at least run by LeBron James. I don't know if it's just a, 
a career long like blind spot that he's had as far as the type of guys that he needs around him or if it's the front office that made these decisions but it, the, the the Lakers at full strength whenever when things are going well they look like the best team in the league but when when you subtract even some of the minor pieces like this roster just crumbles so quickly yeah and they you know even aside like they they are getting annihilated in the minutes LeBron doesn't play yeah. like they can't not play LeBron this is going to come down to I wouldn't be shocked if he plays like 45 minutes in this game or something insane because they her 100 possessions LeBron is plus 56 when he when he's on the court like that's like incomprehensibly like you he has to be out there they just get destroyed and like you mentioned you know even even the guys who are supposed to be good at you know three and d like i mean kcp's hurt um caruso like there's no reason he should be like fourth on the team in minutes in a like in a series that they're like desperate in that's crazy yeah i mean I, i think uh Frank Vogel honestly deserves a, a ton of credit for his regular season coaching to have even gotten them to this point. Like they, when, when LeBron and AD weren't healthy, the fact that they kept their head above water at all is just really kind of remarkable when you start to see all these flaws open up. And um, I'm just, I, I really just don't see them going on a deep run. Um, even if AD were to get fully healthy, but especially with the current state of things. And I think it's just going to make for fascinating sort of theater to see what happens in the offseason of this roster. I think the question for the rest of this series, you mentioned, Alex, you know, it might take a LeBron 45 minute type of game. I, you know, I'm thinking back to that 2018 Boston series when you know they were basically on the ropes the entire time and, and LeBron you know, had to do everything. The question is, can he still do that? And 2018 LeBron, especially at that point, you know, where he, I, I think he had at, at, like halfway through that season, he just accepted like, this is how it's going to have to go. And you know, was able to will that team all the way to the finals. This roster isn't quite as bleak as that one was, but does he still have that in him at this point? And, and based on what we've seen through these first four games, I, I think it's possible, but I, I don't think I would count on it in the way that you could in previous seasons. No, I mean, it's, there are points, I feel like in the most recent games, he's looked a little better. Like there are, it it seems like he's more comfortable driving to the rim. He's more aggressive. I thought in the first, especially the first game that he was like hilariously passive. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think maybe he still has it in him. I think we're going to see him try at least. Um, And you just kind of like see what he can accomplish. But again, like he, I just, when there's, when there are no other threats, you know, around him, like, like Phoenix is going to do what uh, teams have been doing to Giannis, where they're just going to put up the wall. Um, I think when LeBron drives and like, he's still a great athlete, but he's not the kind of like rise above three players athlete anymore, like in dunk it. He just doesn't do that. He can't. Um, so I think, I think it's going to be, I, I, I'm worried about this game for them. I think it, it could go really badly. Yeah, I, I think so, too. In these games, LeBron, I think he has a tendency to try to work his way from the outside in, like attempting a lot of threes early on. And, and if that's not working, things could really go south. I, I do feel like there's an argument to be made that the Lakers are, are due for a better shooting game. But we also just went over the fact that none of these guys are actually good shooters. So is it really realistic to expect Kyle Kuzma after going like one of 15 from three to suddenly go 
six of nine. Like, I, I don't think that's, I don't know if any of those guys really have that in them. Like the guys that are struggling probably should be struggling. You know, it's not like you have a 45% three point shooter who's just like dying to break out of a slump. You have like below average three point shooters who are just shooting even more below average. Yeah. I mean, they made yeah. the sixth, the sixth fewest threes in the regular season. They're not, I mean, these guys just aren't good. I don't know what, well, like Waylon, can you tell me what the hell happened to Kyle Kuzma's offensive game? Because it's just like, he you cannot like the things he was good at five years ago are now his like biggest weaknesses. Like it's just so, it's so bizarre. Yeah. I, I have no answer for it. I mean, I've watched a, a ton of Lakers games this year and, and even when LeBron and Davis were out, like, right away like early april um or even late march you know kuzma had a string of games where he went like 25 21 and like 30 points you know i I think in the span of five games and then after that it was just kind of back to the same old guy where it's alternating you know 15 point night with an eight point night and then a 25 point night and four points the next night and that's just kind of been how it's rolling you know through the end of the regular season now into the playoffs i mean he over his last seven games, dating back to the play-in plus the final two regular season games, which were important games for the Lakers, so these weren't throwaways by any means, 22.9 minutes per game, 5.9 points per game, 33% shooting, 20% from three. And he had four of those seven games, zero three-pointers made. I mean, they this roster was constructed very heavily to, to, to skew towards LeBron and Davis, obviously, and you know, if you're going to build it like that, you need you need at least one guy or probably probably two to three guys in the playoffs every single night to to at least give you an average game. And that's the problem is like if if, if Dennis Schroeder or Kyle Kuzma play even average basketball, the Lakers are probably up three one in the series because you know, one of the hidden secrets here is that the Suns are shooting even worse from three than the Lakers are on a percentage basis. So it's not like, you know, the Suns are just red hot and the Lakers can't hit anything like the Lakers defense has been there. It, it's been more than good enough for them to win all of these games so far, but the offense has just been that bad. Yeah. I, I mean, I kind of wonder, like, is there a big Devin Booker game coming here? Like in a, mm-hmm. like t- tonight or maybe in game six. Cause I mean, that, yeah, you're, yeah. you're totally right. They, the Suns could very easily uh, not have a two, two tie in the series just based on how they've shot the ball. Yeah. Cause we, th- we haven't gotten like the Devin Booker game yet. Right, which was kind of what I was no. expecting, and it could just, like you mentioned, it could just so happen that it comes during the game that the Lakers need uh, LeBron to do the most too. Especially since, you know, when they don't have Anthony Davis out there, it's even hard. Like the the Lakers, they trap Devin Booker a, a lot, right? They're like, make sure like that is the guy who we cannot have go for thirty five points. And when Davis isn't out there, that trapping, it, it like it doesn't work as well because if you you know, if you send Davis to trap, like he's hard to pass around, you're not going to shoot over him. If you let him sit back and watch the rim, like that's fine too. But without him there, I, is Kyle Kuzma going to be trapping? Is he going to be protecting the rim? Like how much do you trust Drummond? I think it's going to be, this is just as big for the Lakers on defense as it is on offense. What's up guys. Are you looking for a new contest to play during the 2021 NBA playoffs? If so, try Fantasy Five's new free-to-play NBA contest. It's simple. All you have to do is pick one player to beat their fantasy point target from each of the five games. If all your picks are correct, you can win a share of the $5,000 jackpot. 
Other guaranteed prizes are also available if you finish atop the weekly leaderboard, including an official NBA kit. Make the NBA postseason more interesting. Go to fantasy5.com today. That's fantasy the number 5.com to enter your picks today. Let's go back to the East and talk Hawks Knicks. Um, this has been the the Julius Randle series uh, for negative reasons, unfortunately. He's at 16.8 points, 11.3 boards, 4.3 assists, 27% shooting so far through four games in this series. He did look a little bit better in game four relative to the first three games, but he just can't get really anywhere right now. A, a lot of extremely contested looks, you know, not, not getting to the rim, not getting to the foul line at nearly the rate that he was during the regular season. And you know, I've, I've read this and, and heard this brought up by a number of people, but I, I think the really obvious point with this Knicks team is they kind of hit their peak during the regular season. And when you're playing guys like Randall and Barrett, like 38, 39 minutes every single night, um, you know, Reggie Bullock was even playing minutes like that for a lot of the year. You know, a lot of other teams have have another scheme or another lineup or another gear they can go to. And it feels like the Knicks have just not really changed anything. And it, they're, they're kind of out of answers at this point. And it feels like this one's going to wrap up probably in five, maybe in six. Um, they, they, they do have game five at home, at least. It's, yeah, it's they- really been... It's it's been good for my sanity that this series is going this way because like <laughs> when you when you just look at these two rosters, the Hawks have just so much more talent, when, uh, especially yeah. offensively. Like it, it's just not even close. Like you have guys, like the guys playing like the fourth, fifth, sixth best player role for for the Knicks wouldn't be in most playoff rotations, I don't think. And uh, I guess you could say that that's a testament to. Tom Thibodeau during the the regular season, but um, I'm just I thought it was comical how much love Julius Randle was getting on like like there was MVP ballot talk and second team All NBA talk and like just look at look at him now like look at look at what's happening when the stakes are high when teams are, are able to game plan for him and like tell me how many players in the NBA you wouldn't take over Julius Randle. Yeah, it's been a uh... It's been kind of rough to watch lately. I mean, like it's because the the staples of the team were Randall and Barrett, who are both getting exposed in a huge way. Now, I wasn't expecting as much from Barrett as I was from Randall, especially since Randall played so well against the Hawks during the regular season. Like that was kind of the you know, that was the thing people keep kept bringing up was like, well, you know, the Knicks clearly don't have the talent. Uh, you know, like eight, nine deep to match up with Atlanta, but Julius Randle, you know, maybe he's going to score 30 a game. It's like it's been Derrick Rose, like Derrick Rose, 23 a game. Um, very like odd series. Um, they just, and they don't have the, they don't have the personnel to like just abuse Trey Young. There's just, they're, they're just kind of being overwhelmed right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, well, I, I also I think the narrative that like Trey Young is breaking out or, or reaching some new level in this series is off base. I think this is just how good he's played for most of the season. And like you said, Alex, this is a, a pretty juicy matchup for him because the Knicks just can't really punish him on defense the way that, mm-hmm. that some of the elite teams can. But um, I mean, this is just. Uh, an outclassing. I mean, they're making like Nate McMillan look like some X's and O's whiz in this in this series. So I mean, it's well, it's yes. been pretty comical. And I mean, there were there were a ton of a ton of people picked the Knicks to win this series. 
I, I don't really understand it. Yeah, on paper, it's the Hawks are by far the more talented team. And I think we're seeing, too, that how big of a difference Bogdanovich makes. And, and obviously, that was the case for the last 20, 25 games of the regular season once he came back from injury. But, man, he is unbelievable to have as, like I, I guess, kind of their second option at this point. It's been such a weird year for John Collins. But he, he seems to be like more confident that he's the number two guy behind Trey. But, if, I mean, if you're alternating between those guys as your two and three and you have Capella, DeAndre Hunter's back, like, I mean, this Hawks team is actually pretty damn good. I, I wouldn't pick them to get out of round two uh, against Philly. But I think part of it, too, is, I mean, are the Knicks like the worst four seed in a really long time in either conference? You know, like if Miami is the four playing Atlanta, I think the narratives for all three teams are just completely different. Yeah, I mean, I still might have picked Atlanta over Miami um, just because I'm a believer in the the, the Hawks. But. Yeah, I think I think there would have been a lot of uh, a lot of expectations definitely would have been different. Um, I, I mean, I think assuming they win the series, I think they'll give the 76ers a pretty good run. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it went to six games, especially. I mean, we don't know 100 percent what's going on with Joel Embiid's health. He's doubtful for game five. Um, but I think I think they have the I, again, I think their on paper talent is great. They probably need a couple players to overperform, but you know Capella isn't going to like be a pushover to Embiid. Um, and I think I think the key for the 76ers will end up being like, you know, can Ben Simmons reliably guard Trey Young uh, all game? I I'm really kind of looking forward to that series, to be honest. Like mm-hmm. I I think uh, I mean Doc Rivers his last series where he's had the team that's been about as heavily favored as that Sixers team is going to be against the Hawks. And if like, if Rick Carlisle was the Hawks coach or Eric Spolstra was the Hawks coach or something like that, I actually might pick them. Um, Nate McMillan hasn't won a series like this before in his career. I mean, that doesn't mean he can't do it, but um, I mean, I've, I think it, the the Sixers are one of those teams where they're they're kind of ripe for a playoff upset if they if they run into the wrong team because they have these flaws that you can uh, exploit pretty easily if you have enough talent. So I, I'm really looking forward to that series. That series becomes very interesting if Embiid is hobbled. You know, even even if he's back to like 80, 85 percent. Uh, for game one of that series, which is very realistic. I mean, it's it's quite possible that he's 100%. And then in that case, you know, Philly's going to go in as a heavy favorite. But yeah, the the, the overall talent disparity, um, obviously Embiid is, is the best player of the series by a good margin. But beyond that, it's not it's not that heavily slanted in favor of Philly. And like you said, that, that team has some very glaring flaws that a good coaching staff should be able to take advantage of. And Alex, you mentioned Ben Simmons on Trey Young. I mean, you also have the Matisse Thibel card to play. If you need to throw... Thibel out there for, for 30 minutes a night because Simmons, you know, you, you need him elsewhere or he's too big to guard Trey Young, wherever it is. I mean, you have two really, really good and two very different options to throw at Trey Young uh, to kind of frustrate him throughout that series. Yeah, I mean, the the problem with Thibel is that he can't play offense. Right? So right. like he's, you know, he's 20, he was 25% from three in the regular season. He's 23% from three in four playoff games where he's playing real minutes um, and taking even more threes than he was in the regular season. So it's like you can't, they can't have Ben Simmons and Matisse Thybul out there at the same time, which you know they usually don't do anyway. Um, and so, I, but I would expect them to basically just 
you know, when Ben Simmons comes out and he's done guarding Trey Young, put Thibel in, have him guard Trey Young, do it like that. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, they, they could try to play it differently. You know, maybe have like Danny Green shadow Trey Young, but I don't think he can do that kind of a thing anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited for that for this series, assuming it's going to happen. I, mean, I, I hope to watch every game. I kind of think the Sixers will lose the Thibault minutes, though, because um, it just it gives the Hawks. A, like, I think you have to have Trey Young out there whenever Thibault's out there just for hiding Trey Young defensively. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. if you're able to just put Trey Young on Matisse Thibault, that's the same thing as putting him on Reggie Bullock in this series. And I think if you have Bogdanovich out there or even like Lou Williams, then Young can get the ball to those guys when he's getting pressured up by Thibel or if he's getting double teamed or whatever. And then you're kind of playing downhill. So I, I mean, it's, it's gonna like Doc Rivers is really going to have to have a good plan. Uh, I mean, I think that series probably goes six, maybe seven. I think having him on Thibel is even more advantageous than Bullock because at least with Bullock, like you still need to close out on him. Like you're not really worried about Reggie Bullock taking you off the dribble and getting all the way True. to the rim or even making a pass. Yep. Like, but you have to respect him as a, as a catch and shoot guy. I mean, he's one of the big reasons they were able to even take a game in the series. But I mean, with Thibel, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do have Trey Young hiding on him. Like, are you even bothering closing out? Like you're, you're probably encouraging Thibel to shoot until he knocks down one or two from the corner. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. He's a 23.3 point shooter. Like he <laughs> yeah. just, yeah, he doesn't have him. He, he's one of those guys. Like the, and the Sixers have a few of those guys that are part of their um, most commonly used lineup. So, I mean, I think they, like, they might they might have to run some pick and roll with Tobias Harris, like a lot of Tobias Harris pick and roll or something. Like, I, I don't I don't really know exactly what they're going to do. But, I mean, if, if Embiid's healthy, he will absolutely eat. So, like, we have to mention mm-hmm. that. Like, the, the Hawks don't right. have anyone that, that's strong enough to guard him. I mean, Capella's awesome defensively but he's not awesome in in that specific kind of way so um i mean mb is just going to average he might average over a point per minute in that series i want to go back to randall real quickly and and obviously his struggles have been the main storyline on the Knicks side of things and this is legitimately like one of the worst playoff series we've ever seen and and it, it is worth noting that if he has like a really good game five that maybe takes him out of the club that i'm about to put him in but the players to shoot under 30% on 15 plus field goal attempts per game in a playoff series. That list is not long. Uh, in the last 40 years, it's Julius Randle. Uh, ironically enough, it's Jimmy Butler also this year. It's Vince Carter in 2000, Kevin Johnson in 97, and Cliff Robinson in 93. And then there's a big drop off where it's like 20 years, nobody even did it. And then a bunch of guys did it in like the 40s and 50s when it was like really good to be shooting 38% from the field. But like it, it's the numbers are as bad as it's looked watching it on tv like it it is it is hard to take that many shots and be that inefficient my question is does this ultimately negate one of the more memorable regular season efforts uh that we've seen um just in terms of kind of coming out of nowhere and and being the guy for for a premier franchise and and turning this into like a really fun year for the knicks i think a lot of people are going to get clowned for putting him on their mvp ballot putting him on second team all nba and i totally get that that there's a lot of revisionism that ends up being done when you know, a player has a nice regular season and then, you know, is eliminated in round one. But, you know, does that ultimately, does that hold up? Like, do, do, does having a bad playoff series mean that he shouldn't be on an all-NBA team? 
I mean, I don't think he should have been like I everything I'm saying I would have said before this series. And I just okay. think that this is kind of confirming that. Like, I, I just think if he was doing this for like, I don't know, like the Grizzlies or something, and they had been just as big of overachievers. I just don't think there's any chance he would be in these conversations and like, you know, him versus, well, like for instance, him versus Jimmy Butler, who you just mentioned, like give me Jimmy Butler over him on a second team all NBA all day, every day. And they both had terrible playoffs, but like we've, we've seen Jimmy Butler do this, like reach a very high level in the past and he impacts the game on both sides of the ball and like Julius Randle, like this was, I mean, this, this is probably going to be one of the more memorable, just random out of nowhere seasons by a player. And I, I definitely don't begrudge him for winning most improved player because I think he had a very solid case there, but like the idea of him, him being more valuable than like Damian Lillard or him being more valuable than even LeBron James, LeBron playing half a season, like, like that's just not even close to me. Like, so I, I just, I think that people just really got swept up in this just because it was the Knicks and just because it was surprising. But I mean, maybe there, there's, there's not a terrible case for him on the third team, but the idea of him being on the second team over like someone like Paul George or something or over Jimmy Butler, or, I mean, even like, even like look at what Jason Tatum's doing for the Celtics. Like, does does anyone seriously think that Julius Randle's better than Jason Tatum? And did he really have that much better of a regular season than Jason Tatum? Like, I just don't really think that there's much case for that. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 pretty much on board with what James is saying. I think you can't like start. I don't know if you can say necessarily. I'm not gonna vote for this guy because I don't think he'll play well in his like first playoff series ever. Um. I think next year he'll probably get dinged for this, you know, kind of like Giannis got dinged this year, MVP wise, not that he deserved to win MVP this year, but just, you know, the narrative coming out, how uh, poor the Bucks played in the playoffs last year kind of took Giannis out of the conversation because people kind of had voter regret. Um, I think the same thing could happen to Randall moving forward. Um, and some of this too. Yeah. I mean, big market plays a factor. I think people overvaluing defensive rebounds always plays a factor in some conversations like this. Um, so, well, and, yeah. and his, like the, the pace and like usage stuff, like it just, just by default being the only guy that could do anything offensively really on this team and just the, the landscape we're in, like his numbers just kind of look better. Well, 38 minutes a game too. I mean, right. right. Yeah. Yeah, you're comparing his numbers to someone like Giannis, who's playing, you know, 34, 33 minutes a game. Like, and and my my comparison, I think I've said this to you, Nick, is like I think this is going to look a lot like that Pascal Siakam second team from 2019, where like the guy just never comes close to really reaching those heights again, and it's just mm-hmm. sort of just a, a really fluky one. Yeah, I, I think that's all fair. Um, I, the big market is is probably the biggest factor here because even without fans, it it really felt like the Knicks becoming relevant, and especially over the last few weeks of the year, um, when it became clear that they were going to be a playoff team, like it, it felt like that's when, you know, things really took off, and it's like this this guy, you know, is 
there, did you see like the Patrick Ewing Photoshop of like that, that famous photo of Ewing, like with the outstretched arms looking to the crowd, like somebody Photoshop Randall into that, like <laughs> things were completely off the rails at that point. Um, and I, I don't know, like, I, I think the Siak comparison is really good. I do think at the time, like, even though they're not, they're not that dissimilar in age, um, you know, Siakam had a couple years where he just wasn't really relevant and, and Randall obviously came in at a young age. Like with Siakam, it felt like there was like this road to like infinite ascent, you know, after he had that great year and he's kind of topped off a little bit. Whereas with Randall, like I, I don't see this trajectory really continuing, you know, like after like with Siakam, even, even though he w- went down a notch a little bit in the playoffs, it was like, is, it, is this guy going to be like a top 10 player in the league in a year or two? And with Randall, like, I, I feel like unless maybe you're a diehard Knicks fan, is anybody expecting Randall to play better next year? Like, I, I think when we go through and do our projections in a few months, I, I, there, there's no way we're just going to pencil him in for the same numbers as this past year. No, probably not. I mean, the minutes, the minutes matter. Um, you know, I think I think that three point shooting um, is going to play a factor. Same with his free throw shooting. Both went up. But yeah. Yeah, I think I think some people have voter regret, but I don't think I I don't blame the people who voted for him. Third team All NBA. No. He had, he did have a great season. So it was a great story. You know, when we look back, well, and a we big were, part of it, a big part of his case is that he played every game, and a lot of the guys that were comparing right. him to missed 10, 15, 20, you know, twenty plus games in a lot of it. So like, if all if all every single player in the league played seventy two games, he probably doesn't make an All NBA team. But a lot of a lot of factors kind of came together to make that happen. And next year you're gonna have. I mean, it was yeah, it was a perfect storm. And I I don't. Third team is totally fine, and I don't really care that much about this stuff. But just even at the time when like Bill Simmons is saying he voted Julius Randle fifth for MVP, like that's just so ludicrous to me. Like when you consider how many players are better than Julius Randle, like it's right. just in, like and and there's a player better than Julius Randle in this very series. His name's Trey Young, and he was. Like there are a lot of stats that would tell you Trey Young had a better regular season than Julius Randle, and he had no chance of getting that type of recognition given the market he plays. Do you guys have any Grizzlies Jazz thoughts before we finish out with a uh, a mini preview of Bucks Nets in round two? No, like takes other than I just love the Grizzlies. Like I didn't watch yeah. that much of them during the season, but like I I think I've watched every game. Maybe I've missed one playoff game since they since their final regular season game against the Warriors. The more I watch them, the more I just I I love watching them play, man. It's they're they're such a fun team. I I guess one take. It's not. I mean, I don't even think it's probably that controversial, and uh, the Grizzlies probably wouldn't even disagree with me. But I think they would have a better chance if they dialed back Jaron Jackson's minutes by quite a bit just in this series. And if they, if their whole goal in this series was like, how can we possibly win this series or push the series to six games? Like the Jaron Jackson, when, when Jackson and Morant are out there together defensively, it's just really tough. And um, Kyle Anderson, I, I love this kind of bounce back Kyle Anderson year. It's just been, <laughs> Like he's always been sort of one of my like low key favorite players, and he's just been so good at times in this series, uh, defensively and in the the playing games. Like I think Desmond Bain has a, a really bright future. Um, Xavier Tillman, obviously, like you know he's not going to be a star or anything, but I mean they, they just have so many guys who um, they really did a nice job of of finding and identifying in the draft and free agency. I'm with you on Jackson. That was the only note I had 
uh, under this one, other than Brandon Clark being completely out of the rotation, which uh, is a less than encouraging development uh, considering where it looked like he might be after his rookie year, but he has not played in three of the four games and really only got in in, in garbage time in game three. But no, watching Jaron Jackson last night, like all he's trying to do is shoot threes. It's, it's a little, his game is a little Porzingis-ish. And we always oh, knew he wasn't a great man. rebounder. Like the blocks numbers look okay. I think on, on aggregate, he's a better defender than Porzingis. I, I liked what he was doing in help. Um, he was really good along the baseline, kind of trying to force guys into tough passes. And that worked out a few times in game four, but he's just not really very diverse offensively. And, and, you know, he hasn't played a lot over the last couple of years. And I'm sure that's a factor, but like the trajectory that we thought he was on a year and a half ago to me is, is not quite as bright uh, right now as it looked like back then. That Porzingis comp just killed me. Because I think because I think you're right, potentially. <laughs> All he's trying to do is shoot threes. He's just running three point line to three point line and like doing those that kind of ridiculous push shot. And like I, I don't know. I don't like it. I think he'll be I, like, I think he's a nice sort of buy low. Like, I, I think I think this is just like asking too much for him to come back after all that missed time and be ready to compete in a series like this. Like I, I just, I mean, he already had some of these flaws before the injury. I mean, he's like a foul machine and just not really physical, but um, I think give him, give him an off season. Like hopefully he's able to stay healthy and everything. Like I think he's, he's got a chance to really turn some heads next year. Right. And they need him to, I mean, they'll, they can add to this team. And when you have a guy like Morant, you know, you're, you're always going to be somewhat in it, at, at least in terms of being an intriguing team, but he's the only other like really high upside piece on this team. Like I, I think they found a guy in Des Bain who's maybe like your fourth or fifth option long-term, maybe even better as like a six man. D'Anthony Melton, I thought was pretty good in game four. Um, you know, we, we touched on Clark who I, I think looked like a future piece. We'll see what happens with him. But I mean, if, if this team is going to be good enough to kind of hang around and be like, the 12th to 16th best team every year, they might have trouble landing another guy. And I think they're really kind of banking on Jackson being that long-term number two. Yeah. And Dylan Brooks is kind of sneaky old. He's 25 already. Um, Not that that's like old, but he's already been in the league for four years. It's just, and again, he's a guy who I think ideally is like your fourth guy, you know, like the the role he's playing in this playoffs. Like, I think, I mean, he's doing amazing. I'm just not sure. I don't know. I mean, are you expecting 26 points a game in the playoffs or from Dylan Brooks, like for the rest of his career? Like, yes. I don't think so. <laughs> I, I never, I never thought I would think that Dylan Brooks could look as good on a guy like Stephen Curry as he did defensively. Oh, yeah. Right. Like, that's, that's the, like, that's the biggest just... surprise of all. Right. James, like I was telling Alex last week, like, I don't know if there's a player that like pound for pound, we have slandered over the years more than Dylan Brooks. Like this is, shocking what's happened to him in terms of his like, arc like i i thought he'd be out of the league within two years watching him in college and thinking of him de- coming in or developing into this like crazy defensive stopper like that's just so outrageous i remember at the combine that he was like the only guy that measured in with a shorter wingspan than his height and that was that was the final <laughs> nail in the coffin for me i'm like he's not even gonna get drafted and now here we are like it's one thing for him to have these scoring explosions because he kind of showed that in college like he was he was a gunner and when he ran hot, he was really hot and nobody could stop him. But like for him to be a plus defender on a guy like Steph Curry, it makes absolutely no sense to me. All right, let's finish out with Nets bucks. We're, we're being a little presumptuous, assuming that Brooklyn uh, will make round two, but I think we can all agree that that's likely going to be the case. No Dante DiVincenzo 
for Milwaukee. Jeff Green probably going to miss maybe a game or two to begin this series. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly a wash, but you know, both fairly key contributors for these teams. Uh, I just want to ask initially, what is what is your feeling right now, uh, regardless of how the rest of uh, Nets Celtics goes in round one? Which team? How many games? Like, what what is your initial lean as you start to dig in? My initial lean is Nets in seven. Um, I think I've been pretty consistent about that, but I think um, I also think the DiVincenzo for Jeff Green thing. Like, I I I love DiVincenzo. He has not been a good playoff player in his first two years in the NBA. And I think there are just a lot of things that I I don't know. Bryn Forbes, more Bryn Forbes might end up being better in a lot of minutes than more DiVincenzo, even though the, the defense for DiVincenzo is better. Um, yeah, I, my, my initial lean is Nets in seven. I, I don't know if I'm qualified to give an unbiased prediction here, but um, I... I disagree with Alex a little bit about the magnitude of the DiVincenzo injury. And it's not even like, I don't disagree with what he said about DiVincenzo in the playoffs. I just don't, I think it's a lot easier for Bryn Forbes and Pat Connaughton to look good when they are your sixth, seventh, eighth men than when you're, relying on those guys to play both ends of the court in extremely high leverage minutes. And I just think like Bryn, like this is just a really, really tough matchup for Bryn Forbes specifically, but also for Pat Connaughton, just because like all three of those guys on the nets are just going to hunt Forbes mercilessly in pick and rolls and just find ways to, to make the bucks pay for having them out there. I mean, like, Kyrie can even just take Bryn Forbes into the post and do work. Like, I think they're just going to, I think they're really going to light him up. Like he's going to have to be shooting as well as he was in that heat series to not be just a huge net negative when he's out there. And he could do that. I mean, like, it's not like, I don't necessarily think the nets are going to shut Forbes down on the other end. So it's it's possible, but it's just the the bar for him offensively to be, to deserve the type of run he's going to get is going to be really high. And then Pat Connaughton, like, I just, like, I I was telling you earlier today, Nick, I think this series might weirdly hinge on how well Pat Connaughton shoots from three. Like, if he, like, I think the Bucks win this series if Pat Connaughton shoots, like, 38% from three. But if he shoots 33%, then it probably goes to the Nets. Because I think all these games, um, uh, like we should expect all these games to come down to the final few minutes. Like, I think this is just going to be one of the best playoff series we've seen in a long time. And I give the, you know, I give the nets probably the edge in late game situations, but I give the bucks the edge, especially when they're at home for like the first 48 minutes of each of these games. And I think it's just going to be imperative for them to build uh, like five point cushion, seven point cushion heading into that, that final stretch of these games, because I just think they're going to really struggle to stop the nets in the half court. And I just don't know if they're going to be able to match points with them on the other end. But I, I, I think you, you could definitely say for sure that all three of the bucks like Middleton holiday, Giannis are all going to play harder and play better defense this whole series than the, the big three on the nets. And 
I, I just think it's going to be a really interesting clash because not only do you have sort of a clash of styles with the uh, kind of intensity and physicality that the Bucks will bring versus what the Nets will bring, but you also have the continuity that the Bucks have versus the lack of continuity the Nets have. And the Bucks have, you know, been fighting for multiple years to kind of break through with this core, uh, largely this core minus Drew Holiday, and the Nets haven't really. So I, I just think it's just going to be a, an all-timer. Um, I, I guess I'll go Nets in seven as well. I would have probably picked the Bucks if we had a healthy Dante, though. I'm still on the Nets in the series, but it would be it would have been hard for the Bucks to submit a more convincing round one, right? I mean, for them to to look like they did for a lot of game one, pull that out, and then dominate the final three games in that fashion. I mean, I, I don't think they, you know, they they could have like brought more support from me, but by the way that they played against Miami. Conversely, I mean, the Nets have looked really good when they want to look good, but dropping that game to Boston, um, you know, kind of letting that one slip away when Boston is, you know, without multiple key pieces, running on fumes, um, you know, the exact game plan is just get it to Jason Tatum and hopefully he can score. You know, the fact that they found a way to lose that game tells me that maybe they're not 100% locked in. And, and you would think when the opponent is the Bucks and not the depleted Celtics, you're not going to have to worry about motivation. But Look, when two, when two of the three guys you're depending on are, you know, a, a noted aloof player in Kyrie Irving and then one of the biggest playoff letdown players in NBA history in James Harden, I don't think it's like 100% given that all of a sudden those guys are just going to lock in and not have these like quarters or halves where they just fall asleep on defense or start getting lazy with passes. And on the other hand of that, I, th- I think Milwaukee is going to be fully locked in to this series. I, I think the fact that they... They let that one slip away against Miami last year, I, I think, acted as somewhat of a wake-up call, certainly against Miami in round one. And I think just in general, I, I think they felt like they were the favorites going into the bubble last year. And, you know, as, as you often see, you need you need to fail often in spectacular fashion uh, before reaching the ultimate summit. And I, I still don't know that it's going to happen. I, I would still pick the Nets just because the top-end talent is so overwhelming. But, man, the, the Bucks have looked really good. And, and even with DiVincenzo out... I, I do buy into what you said about Forbes, Alex, in, in terms of you know what he brings offensively. Like, my, my question is, like, how good do we think Dante was on D? Because obviously Forbes is horrific on that end, and it's not going to stop anybody. But was DiVincenzo really going to slow down Kyrie that much? Was he really going to slow down Harden that much to the point that having Forbes, you know, a guy who can hit seven three-pointers, you know, if, if uh, on any given night, if the minutes are there, like, DiVincenzo is not giving you that kind of offensive upside. So even if you have to run Forbes out there longer than you'd like um the fact that i don't i don't think the bucks had that great of a chance to slow down those guys individually with dante you know as as the one-on-one defender like it, it makes you feel a little bit better about having to use forbes and, and Connaughton, and we may even see jeff t get dusted off who knows okay now i gotta jump in really quick um i think i think bud cannot play jeff Teague in this series like i don't i don't think he can play <laughs> for a single minute okay and and like I honestly like I honestly think that could be the difference in the series. Like if he plays him, uh, if he plays him like eight minutes a game, I think that could cost the Bucks the series because I think Teague might be the worst rotation player if you call him a rotation player in these playoffs, and that includes the guys on the Knicks. And like like they should play Jordan Wara over Jeff Teague if they if they want to dig into the bench a little bit because. Um, like they need to shorten that bench up. I know they lost a guy, but they cannot expand that bench to the point where Jeff Teague is playing minutes in this series. 
I agree. I mean, I agree. If you see Jeff Teague walk onto the court, uh, take the Nets money line uh, live line. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I'm picture I'm picturing someone listening to this be like, no, that's totally wrong. Like Jeff Teague has to play in this series. <laughs> I, it's I, it could come down to just like tiny things like that though, you know, like like yeah. if the Nets the Nets could be like plus 28 in 22 minutes that Jeff Teague plays in this series, and that could be the difference. My my like main thought on this series is that this is three-point shooting versus shooting at the rim, essentially. Um, the the Nets, obviously, are going to be, like, one of the best three-point shooting teams you could possibly face. And the Nets, the Bucks play a lot of the drop coverage. They give up a ton of threes. That's kind of been their Achilles heel on defense. Um, I'm sure they'll try, they'll try switching more. They've done that before. But I think the Nets will still fire up a ton of threes. And conversely, the... The Nets' weakness is protecting the rim, which I was surprised at how dominant the Bucks were around the rim against the Heat. I mean, if you can dominate the Heat around the rim like that with Bam Adebayo there, and now you're going up Dwayne to face Dedman. the Nets. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Dwayne Dedman, uh, Donis Haslam throwing chairs on the sidelines. I think, I mean, Brooke Lopez only took eight threes in the entire series against the Heat. Um, and I think, you know, Using Giannis and Brooke Lopez more like big men in this series is going to be great. Um, and Brooke Lopez got some insanely easy buckets around the rim. I just, I, I just think it comes down to like who's, who's going to thrive at those two specific places more. I, I kind of think Brooke Lopez is the X factor in the series, but I can't decide which way that that's going to swing. Like, because he, like you said, Alex, like he should have zero trouble kind of scoring at will and just bullying them down low. But do they just eviscerate the bucks on the other end of the court when he's out there by getting him switched onto Kyrie or, or Harden or whatever. And like, do the bucks just find a way to keep him back in some sort of trap coverage and move guys around and, like, can they be disciplined enough to just never leave those top four guys uh, and just let anyone else on the nets who wants to, besides the big three and Joe Harris, just shoot as much as they want. Like that would be my uh, strategy it would be to just only cover those four guys in the half court. But I don't know if, if Bud's up for that. Uh, but I mean, like if they can find a way to keep Brooke on the court for longer than like 25 or 20 minutes a game, they could really bludgeon the nets because that's, such a huge weakness for them and any minutes that deandre jordan is out there is a big win for the bucks as we we saw at times when those teams matched up during the regular season so i mean the brooke lopez minutes i don't know which way it's going to go but i feel like whichever team can kind of win those minutes uh relatively is probably going to win the series if you're steve nash would you use deandre at all in this series uh, I mean, they tried him on Giannis in the regular season. Well. Yeah, I mean, he's five. You know, he's six fouls. Um, I think <laughs> I would. I, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets thrown it. Like, if Giannis starts really like having an insane game and no one, you know, no one's slowing down Giannis, I wouldn't be surprised if Steve Nash sent DeAndre Jorgen in there and just said like, 
Like just make the guy like just just hit him. Like yeah. I don't care if it's I, if you go if you go to hack a Giannis, then maybe he's the guy you throw out there to do that. But oh yeah, I don't. Or just play like super physical. No, I don't think there's much upside uh, aside from seeing literally how physical can you get with him. Try getting into his head a little bit. Other than that, no. I, I, I think I, I, that could backfire. Honestly, I mean, like it's not like DeAndre Jordan is this noted enforcer who his whole yeah, career true. has just been like really um, intimidating guys like that come in the complete opposite, if anything. <laughs> so I just and when they had to to Nick's point, like when they had Jordan out there with Giannis, like the only thing they can do is is have Jordan just hang back. And then they would just bring Chris Middleton up to, you know, get a foul line jumper uncontested, basically, because it would be two on one. And yeah, I, I have, I have no idea what the right move is for them with those front court rotations, because it's, I mean, like Nick, Nick Claxton's probably better than DeAndre Jordan, but it, I mean, he's just going to get eaten alive too. I, like he, he's not strong enough to check Lopez or Giannis on the other end either. So I, I don't really know what you do. I mean, you're you're basically going to just have to try to outscore them. Like you're you're not stopping those Bucks bigs down low. You just have to hope that you're trading twos for threes. So Giannis goes one of sixteen from three in round one against Miami. They win three of those four games very easily. Didn't really matter. How important is it that he shoots the three even passively in this series? I think it's important that he doesn't shoot any threes. Um, <laughs> Personally, okay. I think he should just not like I'm OK with shoot. Hey, yeah. if he wants to shoot one a game, whatever, do it. But there's there's just no reason for it. <laughs> well, I think I we're wanna... talking about like if, if DeAndre's out there or they'll, they'll likely do the same thing with Blake to some degree. Like if, if they're backing off eight feet from him, like it seems I... like he can't resist the temptation to just try to hit one or two. And I, I just I am with you on this in general, Alex, because even if he goes three for three to start the game, I don't, if you're the Nets, I don't think you're changing your coverage and suddenly saying we have to run out there on him. Like, I don't, I don't think that ends up benefiting you. I don't think this is a Giannis should never try to improve his three-point shot going forward type of thing. I just don't think this is not the series to prove that point. And they can get such good looks even when they're playing off. Like, even when Blake or DeAndre or whoever is daring Giannis to shoot, he can still just dribble in and do a dribble handoff or just a quick pick and pop to Chris or Drew or whoever. Like they can get amazing looks from that coverage without it being a wide open three from him. And like one a game is fine, whatever. Um, but if he if he's taken four a game, that's just that's playing right into the nuts hand. I mean, you can try dribble handoffs. Yeah, like you can shorten the pick and roll that way too. Like if you can start or like a, a dribble handoff and then Giannis rolls, if you can do that at like 15 feet, you know, I mean, if you can do that with Chris Middleton, who's like uh, automatic from 15 feet. And then if someone comes out to play defense on him, you have a Giannis, you know, alley-oop at the rim. There's, there's a lot of different ways you can play it. Like Giannis shooting threes. Um, it still feels like a gimmick to me. It feels like something to like almost hype him up and hype the crowd up. Um, you know, it's like pretty compares it'd be, it's pretty comparable to like, you know, like if, like if Shaq shot one, three, a game, like the crowd would just love it if he made it, but like, you're never 
Like it, well, that's honestly how it feels to me. Isn't it? Isn't it kind of one of those things too, where like maybe the worst thing for the Bucks would be for him to hit like three of his first five threes in this yeah. series, and for him yeah. to just think, all right, all right, this is this is where it happens. This is where I proved to everyone I can shoot threes. That goes back to my point where like if you're the Nets, I think that's exactly what you want. You know, you're not. What would it take? Like how many how many games in a row would Giannis have to go five for five before you say like we got to start closing hard on this guy? Like it would take a full season of that for me to to believe that. Yeah. You just, you don't because you just, you can't, like, one, if he becomes that good from three, then he's basically the best player ever. And you just, you just have to assume it's going to regress. And, right. you know, if he, if he's hitting threes like that, then you're just not winning, reg- what, no matter what you do, if he's hitting threes at like a 40% clip, you're just not winning. All right, Alex, let's finish out. Uh, you've compiled some trivia for us uh, based on the 2021 NBA playoffs. I'll let you take it from here. Sure. Just some interesting stuff I saw when I was digging through mostly clean the glass, but also a little bit of NBA.com. I guess Nick will have you guess first. Who is the only player? This is of players who have played at least a hundred playoff minutes. The only player to not have an assist. Oh man. I I don't know that he, I'll tell you it's a starter. Oh, okay. I was going to say mellow and I was, I was, I didn't know if he got to a hundred minutes, uh, man, a starter. How about Robert Covington? It is not James. Do you have a guess? Yeah. Uh, just, I need to hold on. That's okay. I will tell you Covington, <laughs> Covington has the highest turnover percentage in the playoffs. 20% of his used possessions are turnovers. My God. Uh, Let's see i, I want to give this i want to have it be a, a a legitimate guess that i don't feel terrible about um i have one name i'm thinking my eastern conference guess. eastern conference it's it's an eastern conference center and i'm gonna guess daniel gafford it is brooke lopez does not have a single uh, assist in the uh, nba playoffs so far Okay. Um, okay. That's because he. Well, actually, that that makes a ton of sense, actually, uh, because he he pretty much shoots when he gets the ball. That's that's pretty much what he does. Yeah, him and Bryn Forbes kind of have that in common. Um, okay, Nick, who do you think has been the most efficient player in the playoffs? This is points per shot attempt. Uh, and uh, I got two hints. This player is 24 of 24 at the rim. Has not missed a shot from there. And he leads the playoffs in block percentage. Okay. Um, man, well, I was, I was going to say Aiden at first, but uh, Rudy Gobert? It is not Rudy Gobert. Uh, good guess, though. How about you, James? What do you think? Is it a center? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's not tricky that way. Um. Clint Capella. I guess someone you guessed before is Daniel Gafford. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I, I was thinking maybe Rob Williams, but I, I don't know if he's had. I know attempts. it's, I can't believe the bulls just gave away Daniel Gafford. Very strange. Yeah. Um, okay. Who is the only player in the playoffs less efficient than Julius Randall? This is points per shot attempt. What do you think? Nick? <laughs> yeah. uh, James, if you have a guess right away, I'll, I'll let you take it, this one first. Is it, is it a Laker? Okay. 
Could be a Laker. <laughs> it's got to be a Laker. <laughs> Which Laker, though? <laughs> uh, what, what, is the, what is the statistical <laughs> caveat? The st- uh, uh, at least 100 minutes played in the playoffs. Okay. And in terms of like less efficient, meaning like field goal percentage? Fewest points per shot attempt. So okay. it's okay. kind of like true shooting. Okay. Kuzma. It is Kyle Kuzma. Yes. Uh, okay. Only because KCP okay. hasn't played enough minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the case. Um, okay, I don't have the actual numbers for these next two, but I know the names. Uh, we'll we'll give it to you again, James. First, who do you think leads the NBA playoffs in that rating of players that have played at least a hundred minutes? And I will tell you right off the bat, uh, Joel Embiid does not make the minutes qualifier, or else he would be number one. Okay. Um, and that this is the points per shot attempt one. No, this is um, this is uh, leads the playoffs in net rating. Oh, net rating. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it would be Joel Embiid, but he does not qualify because in his four games, he's only played 23 minutes a game. Uh, Drew Holiday. It is Drew Holiday, uh, who is, I think, plus 30, uh, plus 30-ish. Wow. Um, I was going to guess campaign. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it feels like it. Uh, It definitely feels like it. Okay. The eye eye test says campaign. (laughs) Conversely, Nick, who has the worst net rating in the NBA playoffs? Is it a Laker? Uh, no, I will say it helps to think of series that are lopsided. Yes. Um, I, have a, I have a guess. Jimmy Butler? No, not Jimmy Butler. Okay. James, go ahead. Tyler Hero. Not Tyler Hero, because a player... Uh, I'm going to give you guys one more guess each on this one. This team is still in play. I and mean, it was like an Eastern Conference team. So, yeah, well, so, so it's, it's a wizard, be the wizard or a Celtic. <laughs> but which oh, wizard man. or Celtic? It's, right. It's got to be somebody who's out there a ton. It's, just, it's disrespectful to guess this, but it could, could it be Westbrook? It is not Westbrook. I love the guess, though. Okay. That is, that is a solid guess. Um, how about... How about Rui Hachimura? It is not. It is Tristan oh, hold on, Thompson. Hold on. Ah, oh, I'm okay. sorry. I wanted, I wanted us to guess this out. <laughs> I, I, okay. Thompson would not have been my first Celtics guess, but interesting. Yeah, I mean, he's just been out there so much without Rob Williams. It's just, yeah. he's not made for that series. That That's like the one player who just like can't punish, <laughs> can, cannot punish the Nets. Yeah, the Celtics. That, that's just another pod um, for us to tackle. I, I think just what, what becomes of that of that future. Um, but yeah, I like this Alex. We should, we should keep this up. I, I think okay. for, I, if, if the Nets, if the Nets win the finals, there should be an asterisk uh, noting that they lost one game to the Celtics team. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. All right, guys, appreciate you both taking the time tonight. We got a three game slate ahead of us. So Alex and I, uh, I think we'll probably be back on Wednesday, just doing a quick recap of everything that happened Tuesday night. Uh, And then we'll be back for our regular Thursday and Friday shows as well. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? 
what do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.